Welcome or welcome back to the company of the cat. Hi. As you can see, this video is quite long, so I'll try and keep this intro as brief as I can. For the new viewers, hi, I'm Kat, and I have previously touched on the Andal invasion in some of my videos. However, this time I delve deeper into the Andal history in Essos and Westeros to put forth a theory on how the Andal invasion played out. For regular viewers, I've included some familiar concepts, but also added new ideas and a lot more details and tidbits to keep things interesting. The Andal invasion conspiracy slash Andal cover-up is a very well-known theory in the fandom that suggests that the Andals reached Westeros before the Long Night and attempted to cover this fact. While I do agree with this theory, I don't believe it's entirely accurate. I think all the stories, myths and dates we know about the Andals have some truth to them. And they migrated to Westeros in multiple waves, each triggered by different causes. I asked in a poll some days ago about the structure of the video and whether you think it would be better if I started with the recent or older events. But I will not follow your suggestion, I'm sorry. I tried it, but I don't think it works. It would be better and easier if we start from the most recent events and move backwards, since we have more information about events that happened 2,000 years ago than stuff that occurred 6,000 years ago. Also, the absence of an origin place for the Andals creates even more issues. And even though I have a theory, I think that leading with it and not with the stuff we know for sure will make this video much more difficult to follow. Without further ado, let's go to the video. But before we begin, if you enjoy my content, don't forget to like and subscribe. The Andals were one of the three major ethnic groups from which the humans of Westeros are descended. The Andals of antiquity originated in Essos and are described as noticeably taller and fairer than the First Men and the Roinar, the two other ethnic groups in Westeros. Their place of origin is disputed, with the Axe and the land south of the Dothraki Sea being two possible places of origin. What is known about them is that for years they were the migratory people who founded Andalos in northwestern Essos, stretching south as far as the Flatlands and the Velvet Hills. It is unknown when the Andals sailed from Andalus to Westeros. Some sources date the Andal invasion to 6,000 years ago. According to true history, it occurred 4,000 years ago, and some maesters even place it only 2,000 years ago. The maesters generally believe that the Andals fled from Westeros because of the Valyrian expansion, but there are other legends, myths, and stories as to why this migration might have happened. The Andals first landed on the Fingers and attacked the first men lived in the Vale, and in time expanded all over Westeros minus the north. The Westerosi culture is majorly influenced by that of the Andals. They brought a different law system, the faith of the Seven, the now main religion of the continent, and with it the warrior tradition of the night. They also brought advanced metalworking and architectural techniques, and most importantly, a superior writing system that supplanted the first men's runes. The Andal influence on the continent is so major that the Dothraki refer to Westeros as Raesh Andali, which means the land of the Andals. Almost all of the early history of Westeros was written after the Andal invasion, causing it to be from the Andal perspective. Everything written about the Age of Heroes, the Dawn Age, the Long Night, and the invasion, as well as the events that happened after it, originate from stories written down by Septons and later scholars who were biased in favor of the Andals. And here is where the issues with the Andals start, and this is the reason why they are a very interesting case. And the Citadel, as well as the Maesters as an institution, was founded by House Hightower according to most sources, 
and the family is ancient, existing since the dawn of days when they were petty kings. Most accounts credit the Citadel's foundation to Prince Peremor the Twisted, the second son of King Uthor of the Hightower, founder of the house. We are talking about a very ancient order. Peremor had gathered numerous scholars, including wise men, teachers, priests, healers, singers, wizards, alchemists, and sorcerers in all town. When Peremor died, his brother King Urigon bequeathed a large tract of land beside the honey wine to Peremor's pet that they might establish themselves and continue teaching, learning, and questing after the truth. And so they did. In the Citadel, there are many runic accounts from the first men to this day, with the oldest of them demonstrating that men have lived since the Dawn Age at the mouth of the honey wine in the reeds. Other runic records tell of the crossing of the Arm of Dawn by the first men, and there are also many that haven't been translated yet. When the Andals came, the High Towers were amongst the first Lords of Westeros to welcome them. Words are bad for trade, said Lord Dorian Hightower, when he set aside his wife of 20 years, the mother of his children, to take an Andal princess as his bride. Considering that, it is highly, if not suspicious, then certainly peculiar that the maesters of the Citadel didn't start to translate older historical accounts and records to a more convenient writing system, because at that point the Citadel was a thousands of years old institution. The Septons had already written down accounts of their own. Didn't the maesters think it useful to start to use and convert their already existing records in the common tongue? We are not talking about a newly established order, it was a very well established order. And no one thought it important to start writing and filing stuff using a superior way. They could translate the records about the coming of the first men, some of the oldest known runic accounts, but no one had written down information and dates about the Andals, even though it happened in a more advanced era and there was also a new better writing system available. And this is a pattern with the Andal history. There are way too many holes, gaps, contradictions and inconsistencies in comparison to other groups like the First Men and the Roiner, especially for a group of people that were the victors for the majority of their existence and have written most of the history from their perspective. Many official historical accounts, like the True History, have dates that do not make that much sense. For example, the True History suggests that the Battle for the Dawn and the building of the Wall occurred 8,000 years ago, rather than 6,000 years ago, as other sources claim. This specific account also has moved the Andal invasion from what other in-universe sources suggest, putting it 4,000 years ago and not 6. Going even as far as saying that the Andals were never involved with the Children of the Forest, who were already not present south of the Neck when they arrived, contradicting many other histories and dates of events that involve Andals and are thought to have taken place 6,000 years ago, like the stories of Alisarin and Eric the Kinslayer. We also see many issues with the dates in the accounts at the Wall. The others, Sam licked his lips. They are mentioned in the annals, though, though not as often as I would have thought. The annals are found and looked at, that is. There's more I haven't found, I know. Some of the older books are falling to pieces. The pages crumble when I try and turn them. And they're really old books. Either they have crumbled all away, or they are buried somewhere that I haven't looked yet. Or, well, it could be that they are no such books, and never were. The oldest histories we have were written after the annals came to Westeros. The first men only left us runes and rocks, so everything we think we know about the Age of Heroes and the Dawn Age and the Long Night comes from accounts set down by Septon thousands of years later. There are archmaesters at the Citadel who question all of it. Those old histories are full of kings who reigned for hundreds of years, and knights riding around a thousand years before there were knights. You know the tales, Brandon the Builder, Simeon Starrise, Night's King. We say that you're the 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, but the oldest list I found so 674 commanders, which suggests that it was written during long ago, 
John broke in. What about the others? During when? John chose the worst time to catch him off. Let him finish the phrase, damn it. Sam was going to say an error here. It was written during The Age of Heroes, Long Night Under Invasion. When? The way he talks indicates that he would say a very important and widely known error. George himself has said that he isn't that good with numbers and there is a possibility that distances and dates, especially months, like for example during Robert's Rebellion, might be off. But here it is obvious he had in mind a very specific era. Because in the novels the timeline is very vague, even the current one, we do not know if all chapters are in chronological order. That being said, his general timeline is something that seems like he has thought about. And we are not talking about minor dates and two months or two years or even 100 years being off, but whole periods. The things Sam says here are quite hard to believe, at least for me. The Watts not having more accounts about the others I find impossible. They were the reason this order was created in the first place and didn't have as many records and information about them as they could gather. He claims that the first men didn't have records, but they did. Even if the rooms were on rocks, it is very much explicitly stated in the world book by a maester that these records do exist and talk about important events like the arrival of the first men and the arm of dawn. Plus the citadel was established during the dawn age. The incomplete lists are also very suspicious, considering that we are talking about 324 missing commanders. Of course, we do not know how many years each commander ruled. We have commanders that held the title for months, others a decade, and others that had it for more than half a century, like Osric Stark, for example. But if we take an average and say that every commander had the title for around 5-6 to six years, we are missing 1,600 to 2,000 years of accounts. The possibility that these accounts never existed is very, very low. Most likely they were either destroyed or moved, lost or something of this nature. On top of that, these lost years in these records happen to be the same amount as the years moved around in the dates stated in the true history. Most major events have been moved close to 2000 years forward or backwards in this historical account. Also, let's be honest, the fact that the book is called True History makes everything more suspicious. Have you ever seen a history book? titled True History Book. During an interview in 2018, George Martin talked a little bit about the timeline, while the Long Night TV show was in discussion, and revealed that the Long Night took place closer to 5,000 years ago and not 10, like the true history suggests. In universe sources say that the Long Night occurred 6,000 years ago, meaning two years after the day the true history put forward, a day that corresponds with what George Martin said closer to 5,000 years ago. Additionally, we have two very different reasons for their migration. The first story is the Septon's Rowdown. We're talking about dreams and visions about Westeros. And the Maester suggests that the Andals fled from Essos because of the Valyrians who, according to George Martin, started to rise around 5,000 years ago, right after the Long Night. Looking at everything we know about the Andals in Essos and in Westeros, myths, historical accounts, what George Martin has said about the timeline, as well as the inconsistencies mentioned above, it all makes sense, and this is because from the way the events are described, all of them might be the case, and the Andal invasion happened in multiple waves, like most migrations, with three of these waves being the major ones, and the Andals did not leave Essos all at the same time. The first major wave happened 6,000 years ago, very close to the Long Night, probably sometime before, and had a religious motive. The second took place around 4,000 years ago, because of the Valyrians who had started to expand their empire, 
had conquered all Greece and were in the Roman Empire era and were expanding west of their peninsula as well. And the last one happened 2,000 years ago because of the excessive political and religious turmoil in Essos during the time. Thus the timeline must look closer to what you're seeing on the screen right now. So let's break down each one of them starting from the most recent one. The latest day for the Andal migration suggested by some masters is 2000 years ago because the Andals were very much present in Essos up until that point and took part in some important events. 1736 years before the current timeline, which is 300 AC, the islands of Lorath got their first inhabitants after more than a century of being completely uninhabited. The previous inhabitants of the isles were Andals, pushing north from Andalos to the shores of Lorath Bay and across the bay in longships, swept through the islands, slaughtered the hairy men living there in the name of the seven and took their women and children as slaves. With time, each island had its king and the largest had four. The Andals, being Andals, spent the next thousand years warring with each other until Carlon the Great brought all the islands under his rule. Carlon's keep was raided at the center of Lorassian's vast-handed maze and it is said that he decorated his halls with the heads of his enemies. His dream was to make himself king of all Andals, and to that end he went forth time and time again against the petty kings of Andalos. After 20 years and as many wars, the raid of Carlon the Great expanded from the lagoon where Bravos would one day be established all the way east to the Axe and as far south as the headwaters of the Upper Oin and Noin. The south expansion brought him into conflict not only with other Andal kings, but also with the free cities of Norvos, a daughter city of Valyria. The Norvosi closed the river against him, so he left his hole in the maze to lead the attack, defeating them in two battles at the hills. After these two victories, Carlon marched against the free city itself and laid siege to Norvos. The Norvosi, instead of facing them, sent to Valyria for help, the freehold was at its peak at that point and decided to dispatch 100 dragons to assist Norvos, following the great river north to descend upon the Andals. Carlon burned with his army and after the dragon lords flew onward bringing blood and fire to the Isles of Lorath. Carlon's great keep towns and fishing villages along the shores went up in flames. Even the great stones of the mazes were scorched and blackened by the dragon fire. It is said that not a man, woman or child survived the scaring of Lorath. So around 1800 to 2000 years ago, the Andals had various fights with each other and a direct, very bloody face-to-face -face with Valyria. It makes sense for the Andals to flee in great numbers, especially the people who were part of Carlon's very large domain. Additionally, the free city of Pentos, and most likely Norvos as well, were inhabited by Andals before the Valyrians. We do not know when either of these two cities was established, but I'm gonna take a guess and say that they were founded around two and a half to 2,000 years ago as well. Norvos during the conflict with Carlon was already a daughter city of Valyria, and we know that like its sister cities Lorath and Cohor, the free city of Norvos, as we know it today, was originally founded by religious dissidents from Valyria. If Lorath was re-inhabited because of the Valyrian schism, as stated in the World Book 1436 years before the conquest, I think that it would make sense for Norvos to have been established some hundred years before this event so somewhere between 2,000 years ago with 2,500 years ago, causing more Andals to move since more people were starting to settle in their lands. Pentos, unlike Norvos, was founded by Valyrians as a trading outpost and soon absorbed the hinterlands surrounding it from the Velvet Hills and the Little Rhoyne to the sea including almost the whole of the ancient realm of Andalos. The first Pentosi were merchants, traders, seafarers and farmers with very few of high birth amongst them. 
For this reason, it seems they were less protective of their Valyrian blood and intermarried with the original inhabitants of the lands they ruled. Even to this day, there is a considerable amount of Andal blood amongst the people of Pentos. So it is safe to assume that Pentos was founded before the Andals completely fled to Westeros. On the other hand, I find it unlikely for the city to have been established before the three cities of Lys, Tyros and Mir. We know that the first daughter of Valyria was Volantis, and it was founded after the Freehold started to expand west of the River Oin. Lys, Mir and Tyros are all closer to the center of the Valyrian Freehold, and founding a Valyrian port city in the place where Pentos is, without having any other port city in between, is not the smartest move. Mir and Lys are in excellent locations for trading cities, with great geography, geology and climate. Considering that Tyros started as a military outpost and later became a trading harbour, I think that Valyria first secured all the southwestern part of Essos before starting to expand to the north. Let's not forget that the Summer and the Jade Sea were the most important trading areas for the Empire. Even the majority of the trading with Westeros at that point was happening through Old Town, the biggest and most important city of the continent. Additionally, they had another way of trading with the Severing Sea, the River Sun. Valyria started to rise around 5,000 years ago and the expansion towards the west started quite a bit later, since it took place after the Giscari Wars, a series of five wars fought between the old Empire of Gis and the rising new power of the Valyrian Freehold. These wars took place east of the peninsula and Sothorios. North of Valyria, the Kingdom of Sarnor allied with the Freehold during the Second and Third Giscari Wars, but during the Fourth, Sarnori kings supported both sides. After the Fifth and Final Giscari War, the Valyrians did not move to conquer the Sarnori, who at the time were a major trading power and controlled the Sarn and the remaining Silver Sea, and they were in no hurry to conquer the West, either because there were internal rivalries in Valyria itself. Sarnor remained a trading partner with Valyria, with Valyrian colonies existing inside the kingdom as well, like Asaria, and was also a useful buffer against raids by the Dothraki. So I will confidently say that a trading port like Pentos, which is fairly distant from the center of the empire, was established at the high of its power, meaning after the establishment of the three cities of Volantis, Lys, Tyros and Mir, that they themselves were founded after the end of Five Giscari Wars, after the end of the internal political conflicts and maybe even after the establishment of some Valyrian colonies in Sarnor, a place that was both closer and highly profitable, somewhere 2000 years ago, give or take. Therefore, there were a number of reasons for the last remaining Andals in the northwest Essos to flee and a big migration wave towards Westeros to have begun around the time. Not only two major Valyrian colonies were established inside their lands, but Valyria was at its peak with various Valyrian roads being constructed and even more Valyrian steel being made and extracted, so the demand for slave was very high as well. The second date we are given about the Andal invasion to Westeros, and the one that true history suggests, is 4,000 years ago, a date that also could very much be correct, as it most likely corresponds with the beginning of the expansion of Valyrian in the southwestern Essos, an area where the Andals were present as well. At the mouth of the Rhoyne, the Valyrians founded the first of their colonies. Their Volantis was raised by some of the wealthiest men of the Freehold in order to gather up the wealth that flowed down the Rhoyne and from Volantis their conquering forces crossed the river in great strength. The Andals might have fought against them at first, and the Roiner might have even aided them. But the tide was unstoppable. 
so it is likely the Andals chose to flee rather than face the inevitable slavery that came with the Valyrian conquest. The Myrmen are believed by certain maesters to be akin to the Roinar, as many of them share the same olive skin and dark hair as the river people, but this supposed link is likely spurious. There are certain signs that a city stood where Myrmid now stands even during the Dawn Age and the Long Night, raised by some ancient vanished people, but the Myr we know was founded by a group of Valyrian merchants, adventurers on the side of a walled Andal town whose inhabitants they butchered or enslaved. The Andals were present all over West Essos, and not just in the northern part. It seems like at the time the Valyrians started their expansion, the two primary people west of the peninsula were the Roiner and the Andals. There is only one more group of people mentioned in this part of the continent, the Herrymen. The Herrymen were an ancient people of Essos, probably akin to the Ibanese, but bigger, a race of savage and psyche warriors who rode to battle on unicorns. I have a video about them, if you are interested, it is one of my earlier ones and the sound quality is very questionable, but these people to me sound very similar to the Skagossi, and I think they came from the same bands. In any case, this group originated in central Essos and with time moved to the west, there are Pentosi histories of them having been settled in western Essos, in what would become Andalos until they were driven out by the Andals. Herrymen akin to the Ibanese were also settled in Lorath, as stated earlier, and they too were slaughtered by the Andals. It seems that in time, most of western Essos was settled by the Andals, with the Roinar claiming the areas around the river. There are accounts of some Roinish colonies in areas where Andals live, but for the most part, Roinish cities, similar to the Sarnori ones, were built around one river system. Their main deity was Mother Oin, a goddess associated with the river Oin, thus they remained close to it and were trading through it as well. The Andals and the Roinar not only had a very mutually beneficial relationship, they had an interdependent one. The Andals were controlling and trading through the sea, while the Roinars trading through and control the river, according to the information we get. Looking at the map, without taking into account the Valyrian roads, the river was the easiest, fastest and probably the safest way of transportation from north to south and vice versa as well as from west to east and vice versa. Because several tributaries lived pretty close to Sarn, the main trading center in central Essos. The Andals were controlling the coastal trade routes in western Essos and the Roinar the main mainland route. So these two controlled pretty much all the trade in this part of the continent. The moment Volantis was founded, the Andals started the conflicts with Valyria. The Roinar tried to aid most likely, but with little result. With Valyria expanding west, we see the establishment of Lys, Mir, which was another Andal harbour town, and Tyros. They also conquered the part where the disputed lands are today, since the region was a rich land during the era of the Valyrian freehold. It is also safe to assume that these farmlands were at least partially controlled by the Andals as well, considering that the biggest coastal towns nearby were Andal towns. Also, the Valyrians at this point were beginning to import more and more slaves to use in the mines, which were vast, very dangerous, and extremely rich in ore, and also in the construction of the Valyrian roads as well. The roads connected most major economic centers, were huge, straight, and fused with dragonfire, but obviously someone had to carry and collect the stones and materials for these roads. So most definitely, slaves were necessary and essential to kickstart the empire. The Valyrians were at their peak during the incident with Carlon, according to historians, and the Roinish wars were at their peak and ended around 1000 years ago, when already most of the Valyrian roads in the north were finished, and the Roinar had lost control on the main trading routes. 
by the way, I want to make a video about the Roinar and the Roinish Wars, so I'm not gonna delve too deep in this one, but we know that the final and more serious ones took place after the roads were finished, because there were Valyrian roads passing through Roinish cities that were destroyed after, during the Second Spice War. So 4,000 years ago is a very sensible and already suggested date for Andals to have fled to Westeros since they were being pushed from southwestern Nessos. Around 4,000 years ago, the Valyrians started their expansion to the west, and with time they established Volantis, Lys, Myr, and Tyros, and conquered the disputed lands, all regions where Andals lived. They later moved north to Pentos as well as Norvos and Cohor, as discussed in the previous section, the heart of the kingdom of Andalos, and when the Andals had fled most of Essos, they started to have conflicts with Roinar, conflicts that ended around 1,000 years ago. The two dates mentioned above are dates that indeed make sense to be suggested by the Maesters. Additionally, there is enough proof that they are actually true. We also see Maesters and other sources suggesting that the first Andals arrived in Westeros 6,000 years ago, and the oldest written accounts written by Andals, like the Seven-Pointed Star, propose a different reason for their migration. For thousands of years, the Andals submitted in Andalos, growing in numbers. In the oldest of the holy books, the Seven-Pointed Star, it is said that the Seven themselves walked among the people in the hills of Andalos, and it was they who crowned Hugo of the Hills and promised him and his descendants great kingdoms in a foreign land. The Vale of Arin, a long white fertile valley entirely ringed by the great grey-green peaks of the mighty mountains of the moon, is as rich as it is beautiful. Perhaps that was why the first Andalus invaders chose to land there when they crossed the narrow sea beneath the banners of their gods. The proof of that claim lies in the stones carved all about the fingers, which bear images of stars, swords and axes, or hammers as some have argued. The sacred book of the faith, the seven-pointed star, speaks of a golden land amidst towering mountains, when Hugo of the Hills received his visions of the bounty that would one day belong to the Andals. I will return to the vision later, but even without taking it into consideration, from the stories we get, as well as the accounts on how Andals used to expand to other areas, it seems like they were on a crusade. Many of the conquests the early Andals did were pretty much because of the religion, both in Essos and in Westeros, and along with the many inconsistencies and the already existing 6,000 years ago date, it looks like the first Andals came to Westeros because of the faith. So long as the kingdom of the first man held sway, the pact endured, all through the age of heroes and the long night, and the birth of the seven kingdoms. Yet finally there came a time, many centuries later, when other people crossed the narrow sea. The Andals were the first, a race of tall fair-haired warriors who came with steel and fire, and the seven-pointed star of the new gods painted on their chest. The wars lasted hundreds of years, but in the end, the six thousand kingdoms all fell before them. Only here, where the king in the north threw back every army that tried to cross the neck, did the rule of the first man endure. The Andals burned out the weirwood groves, hacked down the faces, slaughtered the children where they found them, and everywhere proclaimed the triumph of the seven over the old gods. The seven-pointed star went everywhere the Andals went, born before them on seals and banners, embroidered on their surcoats, sometimes incised into their very flesh. In their zeal for the seven, the conquerors looked down upon the old gods of the first men and the children of the forest as little more than demons, and fell upon the weirwood groves sacred to them with steel and fire, destroying the great white trees wherever they found them, and hacked out the carved faces. An old legend told in Pentos claimed that the Andals slew the swan maidens who lured travelers to their deaths in the velvet hills that lie to the east of the free city. A hero whom the Pentosi singers called Hugo led the Andals at the time, and it is said that he slew the seven maidens, not for their crimes, 
but instead as a sacrifice to his gods. There are some maesters who have noted that Hugo may well be rendering of the name of Hugo. But even more so than in the Seven Kingdoms, ancient legends from the East must be distrusted. Too many people have traveled back and forth, and too many legends and tales have mended. Others followed the maze makers of Lorath in the centuries that follow. For a time, the Isles were home to a small, dark, hairy people like into the men of Eve. Fisher folk, they lived along the coast and sunned the great mazes of their predecessors. They, in turn, were displaced by the Andals, pushing north from Andalus to the source of Lorath Bay and across the bay in their longships. Clad in mail and wielded iron swords and axes, the Andals swept across the islands, slaughtering the hairy men in the name of the seven-faced god and taking their women and children as slaves. It is pointed out way too much that the first Andals were not displaced and were not conquering other places and people because they were pushed by the Valyrians. The Andals came hot and heavy for battle and to spread the religion. Someone could say they came way too horny for battle, especially for a group of people who fled because of the Valyrians. Yes, the Roinar too participated in battles when they arrived, but the moment everyone had a place to settle, they stopped the conflict and found a way to accommodate everyone. The Andals, on the other hand, tried over and over again to conquer the Iron Islands so they could spread the faith. Harag writes that at first the new Andal kings sought to force worship of the Seven on the Ironborn, but the Ironborn would not have it. They were carving the symbols of the Seven all over Westeros, they had it on their banners, and they even painted and carved it on their warriors. Another very important reason I think at least some Andals arrived in Westeros before the rise of the Valyria is their shift of beliefs about slavery. Andals did practice slavery, both in Essos and in Westeros. In the Lorathi accounts, it is explicitly stated that they took the inhabitants as slaves, and their migration to the Isles happened before the Valyrians started to expand. Similarly, accounts from Westeros say that the first men of the Vale who did not submit to House Arryn after the Battle of the Seven Stars, Athral is an indentured servant, so pretty much a slave. Both the first men and the Andals practiced slavery. The Seven and the Old Gods as well as the Drowned God thought it as sin to sell and buy them like products. But the loser in a war being reduced to a slave or a thrall, or repaying debts by becoming a slave, was not seen as immoral, and it was something everyone practiced. It is very easy to see this in Vixarion's chapters. He thinks the slavers were bad because they were selling the women to brothels, but salt wives, meaning women being stolen during raids and having zero rights, are not considered slaves. The way of acquiring the people is different, but the essence is the same, and it was practiced by most, Andals included. This is something that stopped with time in Westeros, and it would make sense if it stopped after the Andals who were displaced because of the Valyrians started to arrive in Westeros, because they saw that this is not cool. The Valyrians did pretty much the same, and the Giscari of Old as well, they were taking as slaves people who were conquered during the war. The Valyrians started breeding them, the same as what is going on with the slaver cities now, only when they were in extremely peaceful periods and couldn't acquire them through war. The Andals were also way too lenient as far as magic, human sacrifices and visions go. Baylor the Blessed considered Septon Barth more of a mage than a Septon, thus he burned his books, but from various stories and tidbits of information, we get that the early Andals were more than okay with all these practices. Like most religions that are not considered useless like the Seven, have stories about fallen stars, human sacrifices, visions and magic swords. The stories about the Andals and the Faith become less and less magical from the moment they made some sort of peace and both the Faith and the Andals solidified their place with the help of the High Towers and the Reeds. Only when the Faith, the High Septon and the Citadel became close did these stories and most likely practices stop. And it is not very peculiar considering that both the Faith and the Citadel have all down as their base. 
Even though the Andals came late to the Reeds, the Hightowers were among the first Westerosi lords to welcome them and were the first to accept the faith. They constructed the first sept in Old Town and six more elsewhere in the realm, including the Starry Sept. Old Town became the center of the faith and the Starry Sept home to the High Septon. Septon Robson, who ruled Old Town as regent for Lord Tristan Hightower for 20 years, became the first High Septon, and until the arrival of the Targaryens, the High Septon had power equal to a king, according to many. And of course, the Citadel, another organization with huge influence and ties to the High Towers, is also located in Old Town and is known to not be very accepting of magic. Even among the maesters who have earned the Valyrian steel link, representing the High Mysteries, believe that though magic might have once been a mighty force in the world, it no longer is. I can teach you to measure the days and mark the seasons, and at the Citadel in Old Town, they can teach you a thousand things more, but Bran, no man can teach you magic. Something we know isn't true. They describe Valyria as the last ember of magic which went out with the doom. Most Archmaesters do not care much for ideas concerning occult matters, and the rare Archmaester who does, like Marvin, knows this is going to impact his reputation. Who do you think killed all the dragons the last time around? Gallan dragon slayers armed with swords? The world the Citadel is building has no place in it for sorcery or prophecy or class candles, much less for dragons. Ask yourself why Aemon Targaryen was allowed to waste his life upon the wall when, by rights, he should have been raised to Archmaester. His blood was why he could not be trusted, no more than I can. They are also the people who have written most of the known history. The Andals did talk about prophecies, visions, about the war for the gods, about the maiden handing out a magic sword to a worthy gallant knight. They practiced human sacrifice, even of people who were considered magical like the Swan Maidens. Pentos was at the heart of Andalos while they were in Essos, and in the World Book we learn about a very interesting custom. In the elder days, the city was ruled by a prince of high and noble birth, chosen from amongst the adult males of the so-called Forty Families. Once chosen, the prince of Pentos ruled for life. When one prince died, another would be chosen, almost always from a different family. Over the centuries, however, the power of the prince steadily erode, whilst that of the city magisters who chose him grew. Today it is the Council of Magisters that ruled Pentos, for all practical purposes. The prince's power is largely nominal, his duty is almost entirely ceremonial. In the main, he presides over feasts and balls, carried from place to place in a rich palanquin with a handsome guard. Each new year, the prince must deflower two maidens, the maid of the sea and the maiden of the fields. The ancient ritual perhaps arises from the mysterious origins of pre-Valyrian Pentos. It is meant to ensure that continued prosperity of Pentos on land and at sea. Yet, if there is a famine, or if a war is lost, the prince becomes not a ruler, but a sacrifice. His throat is slit so that the gods might be appeased, and then a new prince is chosen, who might bring more fortune to the city. The hills and the sea were the Andals' entire life, and the Andals were the main inhabitants of Pentos for centuries. Even to this day, Andal blood is present in the area. This custom is most likely a remnant of ancient Andal customs, and is significantly different than what the faith preaches in Westeros now. Considering that magic is real and the Andals have stories similar to most other religions and talk about visions about Westeros along with how fanatic the first Andals were, the vision of Hugor is not just a myth, it has at least some credence, especially if we take into account the fact that the Aegon's dream beat in House of the Dragon came from Martin and was hinted in the books as well. Another very eye-catching thing is that their whole religion could flourish and spread during long periods of night and darkness. 
The whole concept of the religion is centered around the stars. In the night sky, the seven wanderers held sacred by the faith can be seen, each sacred one of the seven. The red wanderer is held to be sacred to the smith. The father apparently brought seven stars down to earth. Crystals and light, as well as candles, are important parts of the religion because they are reminiscent of the stars in the night sky. According to the seven-pointed star, lives are like candle flames, easily snuffed out by air and winds. The septon states that the afterlight is a sweet surcease, and sing of voyaging to a far sweet land where men and women may laugh and love and feast until the end of day in the Father's golden hall. It is vastly different to how the followers of the Lord talk about death, for example. It is said that when the crone peered through the door of death, she led the first raven into the world. Thus she sent visions to guide the followers of the faith. During the Battle of the Seven Stars, a massive battle that took place at the foot of the giant's lands during the Andal invasion of the Vale, where the first men of the Vale were defeated and dominion over the Vale was claimed by Kausarin and the Andal supporters, Andal songs claimed that the Andals began their attack when they saw seven stars in the dawn sky. The battle was the catalyst for the invasion to continue everywhere in the continent. Even looking at some of the sigils in the Vale, we see not only stars but moons as well, House Egil blazed on their arm with a yellow sun, white crescent moon and silver stars on blue chief above white, with their motto being by day or night. House Prior of Pebble is a noble house from Pebble in the Vale. According to semi-canon sources, they blazed on their arms with a partial eclipse, black moon over yellow sun on dusty pink. Houses Templeton and Tollet, both of Andal origin, have nine stars, one of seven points and the rest of six points on a gold saltire on black, and piley grey and black respectively, with House Tollet's words being when all is darkest. The first Andals arrived in Westeros because of the vision. Some were very close to the long night, something that aligns with how people act in the current timeline. We are the Ironborn, and once we were conquerors. Our ribs ran everywhere the sound of the waves was heard. My brother would have you be content with a cold and dismal north, my niece with even less. But I shall give you Lannisport, High Garden, the Arbor, Old Town, the Riverlands and the Reefs, the Kingswood and the Rainwood, Dawn and the Marches, the Mountains of the Moon and the Vale of Arryn, Tarth and the Stepstones. I say we take it all. I say we take Westeros. He glanced at the priest, all for the greater glory of our drowned god, to be sure. For half a heartbeat, even Aaron was swept away by the boldness of his words. The priest had dreamed the same dream. When first he'd seen the red comment in the sky, we shall sweep over the green lands with fire and sword, root out the seven gods of the Septons and the white trees of the Northmen. Euron is not religious, but the rest of the Ironborn are. Similarly, Merlisandre is also very religious. Similarly religious to the stories we have about the first Andals. The Andals were in Westeros during the Long Night, and the first of them didn't come because of the Valyrians, but because of a prophecy. It is widely agreed by everyone that the first area in Westeros where the Andals arrived is the Vale of Arryn. And as mentioned in the previous part, the Andals in this region arrived before the Long Night, most likely. Their conquest had a religious character, with the warrior sons being fanatics. The symbol of the faith was carved all over the surrounding area on rocks, and the warriors themselves even carved the star on their skin. Warriors like Torgol Tollet stand out as extreme cases among them, but not entirely unique since there are similar stories in the Stormlands and the Riverlands. One of the things that caught my attention the first time I read the World Book was the existence of Lady Forlorn. Lady Forlorn is the ancestral longsword of House Corbray, and it is made of Valyrian steel. Robert II Royce, the High King of the First Men of the Vale, claimed Lady Forlorn after slaying Kyle Corbray. 
the King of the Fingers and an Andal leader. Robar wielded Lady Forlorn during the Battle of the Seven Stars, using it to kill Torgot Tollet, who was dressed as Ser Artisarin. The Corbrays claim that Ser Jamie Corbrays slew Robar in the battle, allowing them to reclaim the blade. In the World of Ice and Fire, the Lady Forlorn of Robert II Royce's era is described to be a Valyrian steel sword. If this was the case, then that would mean that the Valyrians were already making their legendary blades, and some Andals, like the Corbrays for example, would have acquired one, meaning that the Andals indeed came after the Long Night and the Rise of Valyria. But it has been confirmed that Valyrian steel should have been removed from the description. Lady Forlorn is a nice situation. The blade got replaced with Valyrian steel at some point later, and the original steel was normal, which was indeed better than the bronze of the first man. That being said, if the first Andals came because of the Valyrians more than 1000 years after the Valyrians started their empire, then there wasn't a reason to confirm that this was a mistake. The Valyrians were selling Valyrian steel blades, it wouldn't be so unheard of for some people to have acquired one. The fact that this got corrected though is something, and indeed all these inconsistencies and contradictions in the Andal history are somewhat important and the Andals were already in Westeros during the Long Night and might have even caused further issues as well. The second region the Andals reached was the Riverlands, and I'm gonna say that this expansion also happened before the Long Night. The wars again have a religious tone, probably the most religious tone we have seen in any place, since the area was the center of the old gods. The children of the forest are involved in many battles, such as the events of the night in the White Wood, where subterranean children of the forest appeared one night and sent hundreds of wolves against an Andal camp in the White Wood, resulting in hundreds of slain men. We have seen the slaughter of the children of the forest and the fall of many firstmen houses like the Mads, who were the greatest of river kings. We also have the events of Highheart, where the Andal king Eric the Kinslayer slaughtered children of the forest, their animals, and the firstmen allies at Highheart, after which his men cut down the Weirwood Grove. During their conquest, the Andals burned Weirwood Groves and slew the children of the forest whenever they found them, believing them abominations, and most battles bore the Fates' banners. There is again one event that seems out of place but I think that this is indeed embellished for a song, because it makes the story sound more compelling. Kinda like the song they wrote for Joffrey's wedding, for example, where the events did not happen like that in the slightest. Among the battles we learn of is the Battle of Winter River, where houses Blackwood and Bracken ally together to oppose the invading Andals. According to song, the first men were shattered by 777 charging Andal knights who carried the Fates' banners and were accompanied by seven septons, a seven is a holy number in the faith. The Brackens converted to the faith while the Blackwoods remained loyal to the old gods. I don't think the Blackwoods were present at all during this event. They were still in the north. One question I have seen countless times since I became part of the fandom is why House Royce doesn't believe in the old gods like the Blackwoods or are the Royce's followers of the old gods? House Royce was converted to the faith after the Battle of the Seven Stars. We see knights from the house and knighthood is partially a religious mother as it is usually open only to followers of the Seven, thus in the North we see very few knights. The reason people ask specifically about them is the fact that there have been marriages with Northmen. They are very proud of their firstman origin and have some ancient, allegedly magical pieces of armor. The thing is that in the Vale, the Riverlands, and as we will see in a bit in the Stormlands, there was no room for accommodation. Keeping the old gods was not a choice and the Andals were reducing people to thralls, slaughtering and burning in the name of the Seven, and with the exception of the Ironborn, which is an outlier, the Blackwoods are the only house south of the wall that follows the Old Gods as far as we are aware, 
and that's because I don't think they were in the Riverlands during that mess. House Stark was founded by first men, yes, but after the Long Night, meaning the Blackwoods fled from the north after the Long Night, because of the King of the Winter. If these events took place before, as I think did, then the Blackwoods were still in the north. With the amount of slaughtering and burning that happened in the Riverlands, I find it highly improbable for the Andals to be, okay, keep the old gods, only for one house. A house with a magical bloodline, with skin changers and more. One that is this close to old stones. In a song or a story, it is more compelling to write the old enemies made peace to fight the invaders, and after the tragic downfall, only one of them converted to the faith, while the other remained defiant. But the truth of the matter is that the Andals went ballistic in the Riverlands, and for them to allow just one house to keep its religion is highly impossible. The Blackwoods most likely came south after the Long Night, and kept the religion they had in the north. At that point, the faith and the Andals were very well established, and just one house following the old gods, when not even their small folk have the same religion as them, is not a pressing matter, thus they just left them alone. For houses like the Royces, Redfords, Brackens, Tallys, Mads, Moutons, and so on, this was not a choice, it was a live-or-die situation. True history insists that the children of the forest had abandoned the Riverlands long before the Andals crossed the Narrow Sea which I doubt was the case. The stories are way too many, and the Riverlands was not the only place we see Andals and the Singers interact. In the Stormlands we also have some pretty similar stories. When the Andals first began crossing the Narrow Sea, the Storm King from House Durandon took little interest in the invaders as he was embroiled in his own wars, and he died during the time the Andals completed the conquest of the Vale. After the Andals conquered the Vale, they began sailing to Blackwater Bay and the Stormlands, the Andal Togarion Baremon allied with House Massey expelled the Stormlanders from Massey's Hook and established Andal control over the peninsula. King Cardl the Conqueror was the first Storm King to face the Andals in battle, and his reign and the reigns of his successors, Cardon III and Monfrey V, would be spent continually warring against them. House Durandon won at least six major battles against the Andals, including the Great Battle of Bronzegate, when King Monfrey V Durandon defeated the Holy Brotherhood of the Andals, an alliance of seven Andal warlords and petty kings at the cost of his own life. To prevent the Andals from conquering all of the Rainwood, King Balric the Cunning manipulated the petty Andal kings and warlords of Cape Wrath into attacking each other, and King Duran XXI allied with the Children of the Forest, and this weirwood alliance achieved victories over the Andals at Black Bog, the Misty Wood, and the Howling Hills, and helped to check the decline of the Kingdom of the Storm for a time. A generation later, King Cleodan I allied with three Dornish kings and defeated the Andal Trox the Corpsemaker in a battle of the River Slain. The Durandons and Andals came to an accord when the Andals failed in a seventh attempt to conquer the Great Castle of Stormzend. The Andals intermarried with the First Men Stormlords, King Maldon IV and his son Duran XXIV married Andal Maidens, and the Andals swore to serve the Storm Kings when King Ormur III and his queen converted to the Faith of the Seven. In the Stormlands, we also have the ruins of Morn. Now in ruins, in the eastern coast of the island, was once the seat of petty kings who were conquered by storm kings. Maester Hubert believes the site was of Andal origin, not firstmen, and stories from Tarth claim descent from Sir Galadon of the Morn. Sir Galadon is remembered as a perfect knight, whose valor was so great the maiden fell in love with him. She gave him an enchanted sword, the just maid, to demonstrate her love for him. No sword could check the sword's blows and no shield could stop them. According to the legend, Galadon only unsaved the sword three times, not once against a mortal man, for the fight would be have been unfair, and he's said to have slain a dragon with it. This sword sounds very much like Don, 
and the story is even more similar if we consider that the maid gave him the sword and how the seven are one and are represented by a star. So again, we see children of the forest being involved, Holy Brotherhood, the mythical figure with a magic sword connected to the seven, and wars that caused issues for both sides continued for years. In the end, the Andals were service after the Storm Kings converted to the Fae. It is the same thing that happened in the Riverlands, with the difference being that the first men had the upper hand for the most part. So the Andals agreed to peace, but again, only if the people converged to the faith of the Seven. After the conquest of the Trident and the Riverlands, the Andals began to attack the north from its south over land. However, every attack was thrown back by the Cranogmer of the Neck, as well as the strong fortifications of Mount Caelin. Mount Caelin is a very weird case as a construction in general. It is huge, it is very old, it has an unknown background, even though it is a man-made castle, according to myth, the green seers of the children of the forest work dark magic at Mount Caelin. From the children's tower, they are said to have used the hammer of the waters on the neck to break Westeros in two, separating the north from the south in the same manner they had shattered the arm of Dorne. However, the children failed and only succeeded in flooding it, creating bogs and swamps. If something similar happened, and indeed magic was involved, which isn't that unusual or that hard to believe, then I'm gonna say this event must have happened after the events at High Hut and the fall of the Riverlands. Firstmen and singers alike were desperate enough to try and do the same thing they did with the Arm of Dawn when the Firstmen arrived. Looking at the current timeline, people were unaware of the Long Night most likely at the beginning. We saw the break of a pact that must have been magical between the Children of the Forest and the Firstmen and wars on every side of the continent, which is pretty much what is going on in the main storyline. If an event this big, and probably magical as well, that caused physical catastrophes happened, the shit must have hit the fan at least seemingly at the speed of light. Even now we have no idea what is gonna happen, but Euron's blood ritual, along with two magical horns we have and don't know what they can do, isn't that far away from an alleged second hammer, for example. And the vast majority of people are still unaware of the bigger issue. After the long night, for sure, there were attacks and wars to the north, as we learned from various sources, and there were attacks from the sea by the Andals of Andalus as well. But this also happened after the Long Night, since we see the involvement of the Starks. The Kings of Winter were supporting the Crown of Meg when needed to repel southern attacks from Firstmen and Andal houses alike. The hungry wolf King Theon Stark, supported by House Bolton, defeated the Andal warlord Argos Sevenstar, attacked, and was slain in the Battle of the Weeping Water. Argos was not an Andal from Westeros though, but from Andalos, and Theon then sailed west, raided Andalos, and displayed the heads of his Andal victims along the shores of the north. After the Long Night, the Andals and the First Men made peace for the most part, seeing how things were handled between the Andals and the remaining kingdoms. The Westerlands was attacked after the Riverlands and the Vale fell, but Eibor Lannister, the King of the Rock, defeated the first Andal warlord, and the next few attacks were also successfully dealt with by House Lannister. And I think the Long Night hit somewhere in the middle, and of course skirmishes of this nature stopped because there were more serious problems. After we learned that the kings Tyrion III and Geralt II arranged marriages between their bannermen and the most powerful of the warlords. The children of the Andal were brought to Casterly Rock to serve as wards but also as hostages. After the death of King Geralt III, his daughter's husband, the Andal Sir Geoffrey Lydon, took the Lannister name. Many Westerland houses were formed by intermarriages, including House Brax, Trox, Just, Kindal, Lefford, Marbrand, Parren, Sarsfield, and Serret. Unlike in previous wars, the support of the Andals allowed the Kings of the Rock to expand their power. Kinda similar were the things in the Reach as well. 
The Andals, after the invasion of the Vale, the Riverlands and the Stormlands, were prevented from sailing there by the fleets of House Hightower of Old Town and Redwine of Arbor. The Gardener Kings of Highgarden prepared the defenses of the Kingdom of the Reeds. King Wayne IV sought help from the Children of the Forest, while King Mer II focused on fortification. King Mer III bestowed honors on a Woodwitch, who claimed she could raise armies of the dead, but the anticipated Andal attacks never occurred. These events looked like they took place somewhere before the Long Night, and not only were the Children of the Forest in the area, magic was widely used in the Reeds as well. The Andals reached the realm generations later, and were welcomed by the three Sage Kings, Garth the Ninth, his son Merl I, and grandson Gwain V. They granted lands, wife, and lordships to the most powerful of the Andals. Garth the Ninth brought a septon to his court and built the first sept at Highgarden. Merl I, a convert to the Faith of the Seven, promoted the construction of septs, septries, and mother houses across the reeds. Gwain V was the first gardener born into the new faith and the first to be knighted. Merle I and Gwain V took Andal brides, and all three kings accepted Andal knights and retainers into their service. Sir Alastair, the founder of House Tyrell, was made Gwain V's champion and short shield. The Hightowers were among the first lords to welcome the Andals as well. Lord Dorian Hightower set aside his wife for an Andal princess, and Lord Daemon was the first Hightower to accept the faith. After Daemon's premature death, his son Tristan was raised and trained by Septon Robson, who eventually became the first High Septon. Tristan honored him by building the Starry Sept, and Tristan's son, Lord Baris, gave the High Septon his first crystal crown. Families formed by the intermarriage of First Men and Andal houses include House Kai, Graceford, Legood, Orm, Roxon, Uffring, and Wagner. The Andals and the First Men of the Reeds became closely integrated, and most of the Andals aided the gardeners against future Andal invaders. The Iron Islands, like most of the time, are an exception. <laughs> The Andals tried to invade the Isles thousands of years after their first reached Westeros. As the Andals settled in the Riverlands, Westerlands and the Reeds, the grip of the Ironborn was weakened on the Sunset Sea, since the Andals had better sailing abilities than the First Men. The Andals then began to invade the Iron Islands in waves, often with the support of Ironborn lords seeking to settle rivalries with their own kinmen. One of the reasons the Andals stayed in the Isles was because the Ironborn wanted to remove the Grey Irons from power and made an alliance with them. Rognar the Second Grey Iron, King of the Iron Islands, was defeated by an alliance of Andals with houses Drum, Greyjoy, Hor, and Orkwood. The Grey Irons were considered ungodly since they were not chosen by the Kingsmoot, and for many years they ruled as hereditary kings. So many Ironborn wanted their removal, thus aligned with the Andals. According to legend, Haras Hor was chosen as king through the finger dance, but Archmaester Harag said that Haras became king by marrying the daughter of an Andal warlord. The Horse was another house of kings despised by the Ironborn because they had the Andal taint, since they were taking Andal queens and were accused of being false kings, which Archmaester Haig agreed with, referring to them as Black of Hair, Black of Eye, and Black of Heart. Even though the Andals tried to establish the faith in the Isles, it never took off, and even the Andals in the area started to convert to the religion of the Drowned God. The influence of the Andals is less in Dorn than in other southern kingdoms of Westeros, most Andals focused on the nearer lands on the Narrow Sea rather than the Dornish Desert. I will even say that Andals never attempted to conquer Dorn before the Long Night, similar to the Iron Islands. The Andals that settled Dorn, I think, came much later when the region where Mir and the surrounding area is today were conquered by the Valyrians. Andals fled from Essos and the closest place is Dorn. 
Houses like the Ullers, Corgiles, Vaids, Salyrians, Jordanes and Santagars settled there after the Valyrians started their western expansion. The Martels similarly defeated two firstmen houses, the Wades and the Cells, claiming territory near the mouth of the Greenblood. There were wars and firstmen casualties, but the battles were not faith-related at all. The faith was never strong in Dorne, and the Roinar were not the only reason. Even houses and areas with less Roinish blood do not have that stronger relationship with the faith. That would make sense if indeed the Andals who settled there were not from the first wave that not only was extremely devout, but incorporated the faith into their everyday life. The Andals never conquered Dorne prior to the Long Night and never cared to expand thereafter. The first people of Andal origin came thousands of years later from Essos, an area where the Valyrians had an influence, so it makes sense to not be that devout, since the Freehold was notoriously lax with religions. Even their names are heavily influenced by Valyrians. The early Randall names we hear, like Arin and Toled, are vastly different from names like Alirion, Corkel and Santagar, which sound very much Valyrian. Therefore, the Andals came to Westeros in multiple waves. This is why the Maesters cannot settle to one date. The earliest Andals wave, undeniably the most destructive one, most likely happened before the Long Night and had a different rigor as well. After the Long Night, the remaining Andals settled more peacefully and allied with the First Men, while in the meantime, more Andals were arriving on the continent. The three dates suggested by the Maesters are correct and correspond with some major events, religious as well as geopolitical ones which most definitely triggered more people to migrate. That being said, the wave of Andals towards Westeros never really stopped. It seems like gradually people kept moving there from 6,000 years ago up until 2,000 years ago. It just happened for three waves to be big enough to cause a considerable amount of wars and instability in Westeros. But Andal migration was not just one big wave, it was very gradual, quite steady, and lasted for thousands of years. This is why we see old stories involving Andal kings, knights, and the seven in stories that seem out of place. This is why Andal houses and their origin stories are so different from each other, and why names, architecture, as well as imagery of Andal houses are so diverse from story to story. The only Andal information we are missing a considerable part of is actually the place of origin in Essos. The World Book gives two possible places of origin for them, the Axe and the Fertile Fields south of the Dothraki Sea. As we see on the map, they are not very close to each other, and the latter one is very vague as well. The Dothraki Sea, formerly known as the Silver Sea, covers a vast area, so just the south of the sea is not very informative. It could mean anywhere from the area around Skahazadhan to the Red Waste, where it was Fertile Fields at that point, and not yet a waste. What we do know about them is that they were a migratory people who didn't stay for long at any one place before they founded Andalos. They were fairly tall and often very pale with blonde hair and light colored eyes, something mentioned a lot about the Andals of antiquity. Andalos is located south of Bravos and its coastland, east of the Narrow Sea and west of the hills of Norvos, with the Velvet Hills also included. The center of the ancient kingdoms of Hugor of the Hill, the first hiking of the Andals, lay in the hills of Andalos with the southern marches of the kingdom reaching the flatlands. And this is where I will completely dismiss the maesters <laughs> and say that neither of these places of origin is correct. 
I already have a video where I suggested that the Andals, as well as the Ironborn, originated in the Valyrian Peninsula and slash or the surrounding area. They were in this region and started to move when the hammer of the waters occurred, something that caused the drowning of land and the change of currents and climate all over Planetos. When the hammer hit, the people in the coastal area there, like most coastal settlements, were hit hard and they most definitely had to leave to find shelter in places nearby. I believe the Andals were originally from the area and through the Rhoyne reached Andalos, around the time of the hammer. It makes sense for them to use the rivers and not the sea to move around since it was safer. It makes sense that they would move around for years, thus they were considered a migratory people. It makes sense how they learned the art of forging steel, since not only were they close to the Rhoyne art, but they would have passed through all the Rhoyne cities to reach the area they finally settled. Your smith must have been Rhoynish, Illyrio quipped. The Andals learned the art of working iron from the Rhoynar, who dwelt along the river. This is known. Even the story of Tyrion in dance looks like a parallel. His name is Hugo Hill and was traveling through the river. The reason for this theory is the many similarities Andals, Ironborn and Valyrians have. I'm gonna talk about the Ironborn and the Valyrians for a short moment, in case someone isn't familiar with my video about their similarities, and I promise it isn't random. The Ironborn, as well as some other seafaring houses from the Dawn Age, like the Hightowers, are an outlier and do not ally culturally with the rest of the early firstmen. There are enough differences that even Maesters put forward the idea that these people were not firstmen, but seafarers and traders that were in Westeros, maybe even prior to the firstmen. The Ironborn and the Drowned God are associated with fire. Both the Ironborn of old and the Ironborn in the current timeline have storylines heavily linked to fire magic. They believe the Red Comet was sent by the Drowned God because it is a burning brand and it was the Drowned God who brought the fire from the sea. They believe in spreading their culture and religion with fire and blood and song. Victarion fished a fire made from the sea and their first thought was that he was a gift from the Drowned God. Vic had his hand healed by Mokoro, resulting in his faith slowly expanding to include Rolor. We see him believe in both gods now and say that both of them look over the Ironborn. The Ironborn are the ones with the dragon form. They have a leader who has a Valyrian steel suit of armor and believe they have two gods looking over them, one of them a fire god. And all these are very similar to the stories we have about the Ironborn vault. They have stories about black soul drinking weapons and dragons. They had a magical horn, they had a warrior who apparently had skin that was black and so hard that swords could not hurt him, very similar to Victarion's new hand. Additionally, many of the Ironborn names share suffixes with Valyrian names like On, Ion, Gon. Ironborn names like Victarion, Balon, Aeron, Veron and Dagon wouldn't sound out of place on a Targaryen or a Velaryon. Another big similarity is their imagery and some of their stories. The island of Driftmark was gifted to the Velaryons along with the Driftwood throne by the Merlin King and this throne sounds very similar to the Ironborn throne that was allegedly lost. It is heavily hinted at by the author and speculated by the fandom that the Grey King's throne, Naga's bones and the Grey King's crown, which they called Driftwood crown, were actually made from weirwood. Many of the descriptions we get about Driftmark are very similar to the description of Harlow, an ancient Ironborn seed that got replaced with a more elaborate seed similar to High Tide, both of them ground with beaten silver details. There are connections with the Celticars as well, like the magical Kraken summoning horn. This type of horn has appeared twice in stories around Westeros. One where Othgar of Pike, an Ironborn of old, had it, and once in the current timeline where it is allegedly in the possession of the Celticars. In House of the Dragon, 
they decide to give a piece of information which I found very curious. House Velaryon has entirely different customs and religion too than the Targaryens, who like most dragon lords of old were not very religious. In Lena's funeral, there must have been some input by George Martin himself. I haven't seen anything to confirm that, take that with a grain of salt, but I doubt that the Valyrian chants and songs came completely out of the imagination of the writers, especially looking at the lyrics of most, so I think that George must have had a say in them. We see identical phrases like from the sea we came to the sea we must return, and salt curses through our blood. Ironborn being originally from the Valyria Peninsula also explains many peculiar information we have about them. Before the Hammer of the Waters and the Doom of Valyria, the peninsula was perfect for settlements, especially trading ones. The area was larger, somewhat fertile, and by the seaside, close to northern Sothorius and the great Empire of Gis, two of the biggest civilizations at the time, considering the sheer size of Gin. The Skahazad Han River, controlled by Gis, served as a major route for trade between the Severing Sea and the Summer Sea, since, with the army intact, trading was happening through the rivers and the Silver Sea, a major inland sea located where is now the Dothraki Sea. The title of Warden of the River given in Mirin is an ancient position and includes overseeing ferries, dredges and irrigation along the river for 50 leagues. This would make it a hub for trading settlements and a great place for seafaring confederations to originate from. And lastly, it would explain the seastone chair. If they were from this peninsula, they were in contact with the people from Sothorius, the other place with slimy, oily, fishy stuff, and they could have acquired the chair from them through trade, through plundering, through some pact or marriage, through settlements. We cannot be sure, but there are many reasons for the Ironborn to be in contact with and have artifacts from Sothorius if they were from this area. And it can also explain why the Ironborn, as well as the rest of the seafaring houses of the West, like the Hightowers and the Farmans, would settle on the southwest coast of Westeros. If they were on the hunt for new areas to settle, plunder and explore, and they went west, obviously they settled on the coastal part of the Ritz and Westerlands, since with the army intact and Dorne being a desert, the first great place to settle they came across were these lands. Additionally, prior to the dragons, Valyria most likely had port cities and trading settlements, and the most important people would have been traders and seafarers, families like the Velaryons and the Keldigars, with the religion being a water-related one, as we have seen with the Velaryons. The reason I delved into the Ironborn thing is because the Andals have some very eye-catching similarities to the Valyrians and the Ironborn, who in turn have even more with the Valyrians. As stated before, many Andal names, especially the ones in Dorne, sound very Valyrian. Houses like Illyrian, Corgail, Santagar, Uller, Veid, Gergalen do not sound very Andal. On the other hand, the early Andals we learned about could be considered very Ironborn-like. We have many legendary Andal warriors, and if someone gives a description of them without us knowing that they were Andals, they sound straight up Ironborn. Torgold the Green, this man was called, but even his name was a jade, for it is written that he went into battle laughing, naked above the waist, with a bloody seven-pointed star carved across his chest and an axe in its hand. The songs say that Torgold knew no fear and felt no pain. Though bleeding from a score of wounds, he cut a red swath through Lord Redford's stanchest warriors, then took his lordship arm off at the shoulder with a single cut. Nor was the dismayed when the sorceress Ursula Upcliffe appeared upon a blood-red horse to curse him. By then he was barehanded, having left both of his axes buried in a foe's chest. 
But the singer say he leaped upon the witch's horse, grasped her face between two bloody hands, and tore her head off her shoulders, as he screamed for sugar. The giant died choking on his last laugh, the singer say. If the carving was not a star, I could easily believe he was an ironborn. Drox the corpse maker is again a name I could easily see an ironborn having. But he also was an Andal warrior during the invasion, in the Stormlands as we saw before. Another Andal who tried to invade the north was Argon Sevenstar, a name very similar to Argoth, which we have seen in Donate stories from the Reeds. Maris the Maid, the most fair, whose beauty was so renowned that city lords vied for her hand at the first tourney ever to held in Westeros. The victor was the great giant, Argoth Stoneskin, but Maris wed King Urthor of the High Tower before he could claim her, and Argoth spent the rest of his days raging outside the walls of Old Town Ronick for his bride. I have two videos where I discuss him, and I think that Argoth was an Ironborn, and the founder of House High Tower, Uthor, was also from the same bands as the Ironborn, and was not a first man. Houses like the Hightowers, Farmans, Baneforns, Grimms, all the Ironborn ones, and even the Manderleys and the Westerlings seem to be very, very old, so much older than the ones on the inner mainland, and they have a slightly different culture. We are told that all these houses were first men, but alike first men, most were great navigators and traders, which wasn't the strongest suit of the early first men. As I said before, there are enough differences that even some masters consider the possibility that some of these people, like the Ironborn and the Hightowers, were not first men. Looking at the name and imagery we get from all these houses, I think they were the same group of people as the Ironborn and split after the breaking of the arm, with some of them assimilating into the Westerosi culture of the first men and the rest developing or keeping the culture we know the Ironborn have. All were seafarers, often depicted with grey, fishy characteristics and close to the sea, also had similar ships, similar constructions and similar names. Some high towers had the names Uthor and Urigon, and are very peculiar names for first men. We don't see them very often, we see the name Uthor more, but the name Urigon is one that we see only in high towers and ironborn characters, along with similar names like Uragon, Uras, Uron, Urathon. Another similarity is the fixation that both the high towers and the ironborn had with conquest by sea. Many high towers, like many Ironborn, and some other western houses of old, like the Baneforts, had the reputation of being necromancers. There has been noted a certain likeness between the black stone of the base of the high towers and that of the seastone chair. And additionally, the colors grey and green are often associated with both the high towers and the Ironborn. The names Uthor and Argoth are similar, or the same names we see in Andals, like Argos Sevenstar and Uthor Dolet and Uthor Uller. In general, Andal names, especially old Andal names, or in areas where they were more isolated, like in Dorne, are a very weird combination of Valyrian and Ironborn sounding names, like Togarion the Cerebrum. The Andals of antiquity were very similar to the Ironborn as a culture. The religions aside, their whole stick was attacking from the sea and conquering. It's worth noting that the Andals of old and the Ironborn had the same type of ships. It is pointed out that longships are a smaller type of ships primarily used by the Ironborn, some coastal lords and the Andals of antiquity. The first men who were there before the Andals fought the seaborne conquerors stubbornly, but the Vale was but thinly populated in those days, and they soon found themselves outnumbered in every fight. No sooner was one longship set aflame or driven back into the sea, the singers say, than ten more rose from the dawn. There is even the Pentosi custom that was mentioned before, where each new year the prince must deflower to maidens, the Maid of the Sea and the Maid of the Fields, pointing to how important the sea was for the Andals. 
Axes are also very important to both the Andals and the Ironborn. The Ironborn use them as weapons more often than the rest of Westerosi, and they will also have the finger dance as game as well. A game where players spin a throwing axe at one another and attempt to snatch it from the air. Axes were carved along with the Star of the Seven all around the Vale when they first arrived in Westeros. It seems like they were significant at the time. There is even a catalogue containing all these carvings, and it appears that the axe was the second most favoured symbols of the Holy Warriors who conquered the Old Seven Kingdoms. Even though the horse were another house of kings despised by the Ironborn, like the Grey Irons were, they were not liked because of the Randall blood. But if someone looks at the history of the horse and the Grey Irons side by side, there isn't that much of a difference, even though the horse were considered Andals. Some horror kings we know from the era were Wulfgar the Widowmaker, Rothgar Priestkiller, Fergon the Fierce, Othgar the Soulless, Othgar Demon Lover, and Kraghorn of the Red Smile. Archmaster Hareg praised these horror kings for bringing the faith of the Seven to the Iron Islands, discouraging ravings, and promoting trade. But looking at the names and the very dark reputation of the horse in general, it looks to me like the ravings continue. Since at the time the Ironborn were at their peak, maybe they brought the Seven and intermarried with other houses from the mainland, but stopping the raving was not included in the things they did. House Lannister led the Westerlands in invading and crushing the Ironborn, and the Hor Castle on Grey Wick was razed to the ground because the Ironborn was such a huge problem. After that, the Horse promoted trade with Lannisport, Old Town, and the Free Cities. After centuries, we also see the Horse expanding through the Tridents to the Riverlands, with the last member of the house being Haren the Black, who built Harrenhal and was roasted by Aegon during the conquest. As I said in my previous video as well, same people, different font. The Andals also have similarities with the Valyrians, as mentioned before, Andal names, especially the Andal names from Dorne, a pretty secluded area, are very Valyrian sounding, the Andals are also quite fair, similarly fair to the Valyrians. Hugo of the Hills in semi-canon art looks more like a Valyrian than many Valyrians. They for sure were fair enough for it to be noticeable to the first men, since the World Book is commenting on it quite often. How start in the current timeline has Andal blood, and if they are or were similarly looking to Brienne, for example, we are talking again about very fair-haired people with pale eyes. Since as far as we are aware, there has been no weddings to the Targaryens, and the one wedding with a Velaryon woman was to a second son, and produced only one daughter that later married an Estermont. The Aryans are also described as very blonde and blue-eyed, and generally for maesters and the first men to point it out as much, they most likely as a whole were fairly more light-colored than themselves. The Andals were the first, a race of tall, fair-haired warriors who came with steel and fire and the seven-pointed star of the new gods painted on their chests, and those who would not be slaves, but were unable to withstand the might of Valyria, fled. Many failed and are forgotten, but one people, tall and fair-haired, made courageous and indomitable by their faith, succeeded in their escape from Valyria, and those men are the Andals. And, of course, the dream about Westeros Aegon had was added as a piece of information to a TV show, George Martin's edition, but it was still introduced in the House of the Dragon, but the main idea, invading Westeros because of a prophetic dream, has been introduced before in the World Book in the story of Hugo of the Hill and the Andal invasion. Additionally, it is very similar to Euron's motivational speech, and how the Drowned God wants the Ironborn to conquer all of Westeros. Because of all of these similarities, I think all these groups of people originated in the lands of the Valyrian Peninsula and the surrounding region. It would explain the similarities and the differences as well, since they got separated a long time ago and each group developed their own culture.
In summary, the Andals are an ethnic group of people that originated in Essos. Their place of origin is a matter of debate, but they immigrated and founded Andalos in western Essos, engaging in conflict with the tribes that already inhabited those lands and establishing their own kingdoms. They started migrating to Westeros en masse 6,000 years ago, first because of a prophecy and again in two more big waves 4,000 and 2,000 years ago, trying to escape conflicts in Essos. But there was probably a steady trickle of immigrants in between these waves. Eventually, they conquered the continent all the way to the neck, succeeding in writing history from their own perspective. This, along with the fact that they came to control the citadel, aka the main knowledge hub in their parts of the world, allowed them to also control the narrative and push their own apparently most likely altered version of the timeline of their conquest. Although we do not really know the reason for that, it makes sense that they would do it to portray themselves in a better light by concealing their atrocities and mistakes and shifting the blame to other people. <laughs> Considering the part of history they chose to remove themselves from, it is possible that they were at least partly responsible for the long night. Maybe the religious war they waged was what triggered the whole thing. Maybe they ignored the warnings. To me, at least, it seems that if you combine the elements of their early history and mythology, the result is once again some power-hungry dude with a superiority complex killing a lot of people because he saw in a dream by God TM that this is the way to raise his kingdom. And that story has some very unfortunate parallels in this universe, from the blood betrayal and the blast of Emperor to the Valyrians, to whatever the hell Euron is currently doing. And since after the long night was dealt with, and the dust settled, the Andals actually did came out mostly on top. It makes sense that they would try and conceal that part of their history in order to claim moral superiority and solidify the rule. Since I doubt that the small folk would otherwise support the religion that nearly ended their world. So with the help of the faith and the citadel, they altered the timeline, downplayed the role of magic played in the conquest, and stopped using it altogether, to the point that they now claim it doesn't even exist. So, yeah. Tinfoil hats off. <laughs> this is it for this video. I hope you were not bored. And if you stuck around for the whole thing, thanks very, very much for watching. Next upload is going to be either a small video about the Century of Blood or a video I've had in mind for some time now about the Hartrees and the Magical Firstman bloodlines south of the wall. I have a poll out on the community tab and I swear I will make the one you chose first. <laughs> Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment if you haven't already. And until the next one, bye!